I loved running and I would see people walking or just sitting and I would think, oh God, thank you so much for giving me a body that can run. And so then when that was taken away, I had to wrestle with a lot of things. Hello and welcome to Working with me, Dan Doriani, hosting a podcast where we explore faith, work, culture, and the way believers can make a difference in their corner of the world. My guests on today's podcast are Abby Karsten and Chris Gordon, respected leaders in women's ministry in the Midwest. We'll discuss their work in the church and in writing Bible study curricula, but today we're primarily discussing a subject I've been researching lately, the human body. We explore the mystery of how our bodies operate, the joys and distresses of bodily life, running, eating, and the body is a source of frustration and sorrow, particularly as we hear from the perspective of Abby and Chris for women. Well, I have two wonderful guests. I'm very happy to have them on and in person today. Christine Gordon and Abby Karsten are my guests. If you regularly listen to Working, you will know that we kind of have two themes. We talk about what people do and how they find their calling and meaning in life. And we also talk about whatever's interesting in our culture. And so we're bringing those together. I'm going to be asking Christina and Abby to talk about their, Christina and Abby to talk about their work, but we'll also hit a lot on a pretty big topic, and that is body images. And we'll talk about that for, for men to some degree, but mostly about women. And as backstory, I've been slow burn working on a book on the body for close to 10 years, and I'll be teaching a course on it, a graduate level course pretty soon. And so it's much on my mind these days, I've been reading a lot of books. And I have been talking to the, a variety of women in my life about these issues since I'm a man, and the topic registers differently for men and women. So I'm very eager to have the perspectives of Christine and Abby. Now, as a full disclosure, these are both people I've known for a number of years in different ways, but I do know Abby better than most. Uh, specifically, she is my oldest daughter, and uh, that may show up a little bit. I hope it'll be helpful to the conversation because we've walked through uh, physical issues for our entire life. And Christine, uh, of course, I've known you for a while. And these women are both professionals. Uh, Christine, you have uh, become the head or you founded a ministry. And I'll let you tell us about that in a minute. And Abby, you're the women's ministry director at an influential church in St. Louis. So Christine, just tell us a little bit about what you do and uh, then we'll ease into body issues. But what do you do, broadly speaking? How'd you get there? Right. So I spend most of my time writing. I co-founded At His Feet Studies with a very good friend of mine named Hope Blanton, who's a therapist in San Antonio. About eight years ago, we started writing mostly just for a little church in Lincoln, Nebraska, for the women there. And it grew over the years to where now we've written eight books. They get distributed around the country and around the world. My favorite is to see in the reports when they're in different sorts of other than dollars when they get mm. sold in strange places, mm -hmm. which is exciting. Rupees and lira. Right. Right. Yes. So and then I also teach a couple classes at Covenant Seminary and teach around the country at various churches. What do you teach? To. You teach a course on communication. I teach of... communicating the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. And then in the spring, I will teach communicating the New Testament. And that's, uh, in case anybody's wondering, there's homiletics classes for preachers. People are going to stand up and preach week by week. 
And this is many of the same principles, but for people who will not be preachers, but maybe teachers and public speakers in a variety of settings. Is that right? Right, in a variety of settings. That's yeah, right. great. Okay. Yep. Abby, what do you do? And how'd you get there? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I am the women's ministry director at Kirk of the Hills. So I get to teach and I also get to meet with women and plan events. And I came there through a rather circuitous route, but I used to be a camp director. I used to teach math and economics. I did a lot of other things before that. Yeah, and that's true for so many people, right? A lot of people have unexpected turns in their careers. I don't suppose you, Christine, thought I was a bookkeeper for 10 you years. You were ever going to be a nonstop writer. You were also a hospital chaplain for a while. I was for a yeah. little bit. I've had a lot of jobs. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So, uh, and of course, all of our jobs somehow inform us. And, yeah. you know, running a camp right. probably helped with uh, women's ministry, I'm guessing. Yes. How so? It did. <laughs> well, you learn how to work with a variety of people. And you learn how to delegate well. And also, in, uh, my favorite thing about camp and women's ministry is getting a variety of people to use their gifts in ways that bless the whole group and also might be unexpected to them. So watching them bloom or blossom in new ways mm. is probably my favorite it's thing. It's a whole different kind of, you're in a different kind of camp That's now. right. It's an yeah, older right. camp. No, it's right. a more complicated camp. <laughs> Well, it is a more complicated camp, and it's yeah. partly a matter of organizing disparate people for the common good. Right. The common good, but also individual good. Yes. Right. At least that's, what, that's less, what I think. less sweaty children. Not as much sweat, maybe. <laughs> Not as much oh, water bottles. Women probably right. smell exactly. Like less water bottles and less, yeah. less t-shirt to, t-shirts right. to distribute. Yeah. So uh, we are going to talk mostly about the body today. We're going to, we'll range around. Uh, but Christine, you, uh, you have worked as a hospital chaplain. So you right. see bodies breaking and falling apart and, and have counseled people who are near death, possibly facing death. Yes. And before even that, I worked in the same hospital as a tech. So mm-hmm. I used to do blood draws and tube feedings and wound prep, wound care, and then switch to chaplaincy. So sort of both sides. So you're not writing right now about body issues, are you? No. No, but no. It's, it comes up occasionally it in does. women's ministry, right? <laughs> yeah. So what have you gleaned from the world of medical technology and chaplaincy that you would apply to people who want to create not only good theology, but good practices and good thoughts about the body, especially in times of difficulty? Mm-hmm. What, what have you learned that's most telling Yeah, I think what I would say most surprising is how much they affect each other, Mm. which I Mm -hmm. would have not, Mm -hmm. how integrated we really are. So that I think I had this idea of there's this one side when you do something medically, and then there's this whole other side when you do something spiritually and watching on a hospital floor how those things inform each other was fascinating and surprising. Even, you know, you've heard the studies about prayer and how they affect medical outcomes, but even attitudes and faith communities and the manifestations of anxiety in the body, the mm-hmm. fact that your blood pressure goes up or your what numbers are affected your by blood what, pressure goes up when you are getting ready to hear a report about the, uh, about the biopsy from the doctor. Yes, right. for sure. And there are, there are measurable outcomes that are changed 
by what is happening emotionally and spiritually. That is fascinating to me. And I don't think I expected that, but boy, do you see it when you work on a hospital floor. Yes. And people are saying that more and more right. these days than they did in the past. Or you see somebody who does something like break uh, a leg badly and they spiral into depression. You think, well, your problem is not emotional. Of course, you know, you'll be better in eight weeks, but they're just crushed. They're devastated and so forth. Yes. Because we can't, we... I, I say we we as Westerners, I think, try to separate those things much more so than maybe Easterners would. I don't know. I'm not an Easterner. But the more you work around bodies, the more you see how integrated we really are. And you just can't. You can't separate those things. Right. Yeah. So we're going to talk about the body and about some of the things that go wrong with the body. But I want to start by celebrating the body a little bit. And I would love to hear both of you say, maybe since Christine was just talking, you can start us off, Abby. What are some things you really love about the fact that you have a body, that you're an embodied being? You're not an angel. Yes. You're a person with a body. Right. Well, I've been thinking about that question for the past couple of weeks, and it's been really fun to notice things as I go about my day. So one thing is that I love the way my body can take me places and so I can experience things that might be sort of mundane. So yesterday I went running in the morning because, and I, and I had to go before dark, before sunrise because my husband ha- wanted to go do something else before church. And I got to see dark change to light that slow, slow transition. And that's one of my favorite things. I didn't think of it as being one of my favorite things, but now that I've done it a few times, that, that, that inching forward of now I can actually see something. And then I hear a few birds and, oh, there's an owl over there. I think I'm going to go down this path because I hear the owl. So the fact that our bodies can take us places and we can experience the world because we are physically present, it's, it's one of my favorite things. Mm. Can I say one more thing? Yeah. All sure. right. And the other thing I love is connecting with other people with my body. So Chris and I go for walks and we walk and talk and that's, it's easier sometimes to talk about hard things while we're walking for sure side by side in a pretty setting. If I can keep up with her, yeah. we're just going to put that there. <laughs> she has to slow down for me a little bit. Yeah, It's good. And then, you know, giving my kids hugs and, and, just feeling their bodies and watching, you know, their little bodies grow. That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, as you know, in our family, we have your younger sister mm-hmm. has a one-year-old baby, mm-hmm. and she's a really good mom. And I have seen that over and over again. I'm not surprised by it. You're a very good mom also, Christine. I know you're a good mom too. But she's new to being a good mom, and so I tell her you're a good mom, and then we hug, and that just makes it so much more... Uh, potent mm-hmm. and beautiful and sweet than simply saying you're a good mom. Mm-hmm. You're a good mom and then draw in and it's mm-hmm. five times more delightful and strong, I think. That's right. When you combine it with touch, right? Christine, what do you want to say about the goodness of the body? I would say a few things. I love to snuggle mm. with people or dogs in okay. particular. I have fluffy little dogs that I really love. I'd say also, I didn't know this was a thing. I thought everybody could do this, but my husband assures me that not everyone can. I can play music in my head for myself. Mm. So if, it, and I, I know lots of people can do this. If you think about you 
sing a song in the shower, you know, you have it memorized, right? But I thought it was, I, for example, I love classical music. So Beethoven's Fifth is one of my favorite. I don't have the whole thing memorized, but I have a lot of it memorized. So I can mm. play it in my head when I want to hear it. And that's I, cool. I'm thankful for that. <laughs> yes. My body can do that for me. So you don't have to carry your little bows with you everywhere. I don't have to know. Internal headphones. I don't headphones. have the whole thing memorized, yeah. but I you have, have an a internal lot of clock. it memorized. She has yeah. internal headphones. No, it's interesting. I definitely I play things in my head. Well, I, See, you're labeling and I wasn't, do it. I, I, I didn't say to myself, I can play tunes in my head. Well, but, I didn't either until yeah. I was listening in my head to something and my husband yes. was like, what do you mean? Yes. I had to explain it to him. Yeah. So let's just think a tiny bit more about this. You know, Jesus took a body. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just, we're recording this around the Christmas time. So that's, uh, you know, that's one of the great things is that Jesus took a body, which means he tasted, smelled, touched, mm-hmm. saw, heard all the delights, and honestly, also the downsides of our senses. You know, he probably, as a carpenter, realistically, probably got splinters in his fingers. You know, he was morally perfect, but we don't necessarily think that he was perfect as a carpenter the first time he picked up his tools. Have you thought about this? And beyond that, Jesus took a body. We'll have bodies forever, right? The future is not to become angels. The future is to have perfected bodies, and the Bible tells us we praise God because we're fearfully and wonderfully made. So that's a long opportunity for you to say something more about why you like your bodies. And I'm going to also invite you, since this is about women's bodies more, what do you like about being a woman? Yeah, I've thought, I've thought a lot about this. You know, a lot because my husband, I'm sort of a eat to live, not live to eat kind of person, mm-hmm. but he's the opposite and he's an excellent cook and my favorite bartender anywhere. And so the longer I live with we him, we don't talk about bars in this oh, part sorry. podcast. No <laughs> alcohol. Okay. Well, the longer you, I live like with the him, end. the more I enjoy good food uh-huh. and good drinks because he loves it and will try anything. And so I have, I have thought about the fact that I hope he is bartending for me hmm. in the new earth because he's really good at it. And I've also thought, would Jesus have liked Indian food? Will we sit around a table with him and enjoy a, a great variety of curry? Cuisines. Right. Yeah. I mean, right. I hope we do. Yeah. He didn't enjoy Indian cuisine on in his first life. No, but will he? But he might enjoy jalapeno pepper potatoes, which I just had oh. for the first time. I have to think about that. That sounds good. Uh, I would, anything with a jalapeno. Might, you know, Let's Jesus do might it. enjoy that. No, I was just replaying the the words that you strung together yeah. to imagine what you actually Or hot was. red pepper. Okay. Hot red pepper potatoes. Got That's it. what it was. This podcast is a production of the Center of Faith and Work in partnership with the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. If you're enjoying this conversation, you know the drill. Please rate this podcast and subscribe to it. And visit our workingwithdan.org site to get updates on new episodes, explore old episodes, hear clips from lectures on work, and enter to win our giveaways. Before we return to our conversation with Abby and Chris, let's remember that Jesus fully and truly took a human body. He ate, slept, got hungry and tired, worked with his hands, sweated, and probably got splinters. Jesus took a body. How can that lend meaning and purpose to our daily labors? I love to think about, is it in Isaiah 25? I think this is what started me thinking about this, that 
he talks about fat things in the new earth. We're going to sit down at the feast and the feast table of the lamb and we will eat fat things. And so I love to think about yes. what is that? Is that a good steak? Is that like really mm-hmm. well-made Ethiopian food? What right. is it? Lentils? Right. It's going to be good, whatever it yeah. is. Well, as we all know, fat tastes good. Right. Right. Because people need calories. And so God made it so that calories taste good. So fat things are things with lots of fat that taste good, I like bacon. Rich fat. foods, the marrow. Yeah, exactly, the marrow, exactly. Abby, what do you want to say? Anything more about loving bodily life? Yes. Okay, so one thing, when you talked about Jesus' birth and incarnation, Estelle, my oldest, was born just a month or two before Christmas. And so I experienced holding a baby in my arms while listening to Advent devotionals and things like that. And I, I remember being so struck <laughs> as I looked at her and I thought, Jesus became a baby. <laughs> it just hit me so strongly and with sort of a visceral, on a visceral level as I was feeding and caring for that baby that I had, I had not considered it so, I think so personally, so in my body, right? I, my physical body was caring for this body, even though she was now out of me. And I thought about what it would be like for God to be dependent on another person, on, on a woman for, you know, the physical, the level, physical right? on the physical mm-hmm. level and, and yeah. other people in his family and community and how helpless he would have been. I also watch three and four and five and six-year-old boys tearing around. And I think Jesus probably tore around Mm, like a boy with boundless energy, just running and running and running and not stopping the way little boys do. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And of course we, I hope, I think we all enjoy energy. I'm going to just say again, this is my daughter here on my left, Abby. Uh, You know, you, when you were young, would do things like just swim a mile because you felt like it. When you were 12, I remember one time we were in a pool and you said, Dad, I'm going to go swim a mile. I'm thinking, why would you do that? Because I just, because I want to swim a mile. Because she's happy. That's what she does. <laughs> uh, so there's a, I think there's a beauty in that. Uh, so, okay. So we're thankful for many, many things regarding our body, but um, we're also going to talk about the difficult things and we're not going to aim to be offensive or to cause trauma in people. So let me just start off by saying, if somebody walked into this room, they would say, well, there's three healthy people, Mm. right? I mean, you know, Christine, you look healthy and, you know, Abby, you look healthy and people would walk in and and say, I look healthy and most people aren't going to watch this, but you know, we're, we're kind of built. Okay. You know, we're, we're not, we're, we look kind of put together and athletic or whatever. And you know, our faces are, your faces certainly are, you have lovely smiles and you're, you're, uh, no one is going to run from the room when they see you <laughs> screaming, oh my goodness, people are going to think, oh, this is a happy place. This is a nice place to be. But even people who have a really good looking, you know, face and hair and, and skeleton have problems. I'll, I'll start with myself. So I'm in my 60s. I'm about six feet tall, about 180 pounds. And I still do competitive athletics in, in in tennis especially, and have done all kinds of competitive athletics. But uh, boy, have I had, I've had so many physical problems, and I've broken bones and torn ligaments repeatedly. I got myocarditis, which can actually kill you uh, once in a while as a consequence of COVID. I had terrible asthma as a child, and I could, you know, I could kind of go on, and I look good, but you look inside, and boy, there's, there's struggles. 
Uh, and you two look like you're healthy people. Have you had struggles? <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> yes, we have had struggles. <laughs> uh, so I'm going to ask you to speak for yourself, but also as women who lead women. Right. Tell us a little bit about your struggles in an you know, appropriate way that you're comfortable with. We've gone over this in advance in case Bunny's worried. I'm not springing this on them. Tell us about your experience and how you make sense of it for yourself and as leaders of other people. Like you, I've had, you know, various physical struggles, injuries, and things like that. We might talk about that later. So I'm going to do the, the bigger picture, um, well, which is, list, what, should you know, I list? Okay. You, yeah. So I think, right. So I, I did lots of sports. Of detail, sure. But, okay. Yeah. I had lots of sports growing up and I was relatively healthy and injury free until I turned 29. And then I had to get hip surgery and then I hurt my knee and then I hurt my toe and I couldn't run at all for about five or six years. And in the middle of that time frame, I also had two miscarriages and had a really hard time getting pregnant also. And so I felt like from, you know, for, from a span of about, about six years, nothing was working. And on the outside, I still looked fine, but I had a lot of injuries and also heartache that affected me. Talk about, you know, your body influences your mental and spiritual being and those were all combined and it was those were dark years and we should say for you abby yes. for, because not everybody will know this about you for you running is not like for me running where i had to give it up and it was sad for a week and then i was fine for you this is this is a huge has huge implications it, if your yes, body doesn't work. it did i mean i so i could i could say a lot about that but that has informed the way that i i talk to people I didn't know why. I, so I wrestled with that in a variety of ways. I mean, there were times where I could see that for running for me um, was a little bit like the way the Pharisee prays, the Pharisee as he sees the tax collector. I used to run and I, would, I loved running and I would see people walking or just sitting and I would think, oh, God, thank you so much for giving me a body that can run instead of this and guy. And not like these slobs. And, who's and, and, and I knew it. I even knew it at the time, right? <laughs> I knew it at the time that this is not quite right. Mm -hmm. And so then when that was taken away, I had to wrestle with a lot of things. Including identity. Identity for sure. And then is, is God punishing me? No, that's probably not biblical. But I definitely loved that so much. I loved it too much. Maybe. So I think I've, I've wrestled for a long time with recognizing that God gives us gifts in our body and that we can enjoy them and love them. And then also how quickly those things can creep up to be a love that is greater than it should be in the order of things, obviously. So, and then, and then even just lamenting. So I, for many years, I felt like Hannah, not just to not have a child, but also to not be able to run and jump. I, I grieved. I cried out to God a lot. I remember sitting on the floor just putting my socks on and being like, okay, I'm going to go for a walk and then kind of wanting to cry. But then so I let still me, went Let me walk. just yeah. jump in and Please. say something you're not saying for yourself. Sure. I'll, Abby, um, I'll, the best way to say it might be that Abby met her husband through an ultimate Frisbee team. If you don't know what ultimate Frisbee is, it's, a, it's an endurance sport that requires sprinting and just running and running. And their team was always in the national rankings and in 2010 ultimately won the world championship 
And she also, you know, you can still run a six minute. If somebody said run a six minute mile right now, you could definitely do that. I could probably do that. And, you know, she's in a variety of races. It's great to go to the world championships on a like little known sport. I'll yeah, just yeah, say that. Right. You yeah. know, it's, it's not It's, <laughs> it's, it's not a sport in which, as your husband points out, it's a sport in which um, there is no prize money. So all the really great athletes <laughs> right. are in other fields. Right. Nonetheless, <laughs> among the sports where there's no prize money, it is... One of the it's it's one of the most demanding ones. It's a demanding sport, and it requires you to run, sprint, and then run and run and run and run. And of course, triathlons, which you do and mm-hmm. you do successfully, mm-hmm. requires swimming and cycling and running. And so it, this is this is pretty fundamental to who you are. And so there was an identity issue here that would exceed maybe most people um, and their experience of the loss of mobility or the ability Mm -hmm. to do things. Mm -hmm. And, you know, professional athletes, when they maybe get hurt badly and they have to rehab for a year and a half, often go through a dark period of time. Mm -hmm. Well, Christine, you're, uh, you know, you, you're an active person, but tell us your story is not identical to Abby's, but you still have a story. I do. I do not do triathlons for fun. So I, I, Abby is sort of a spectacle for me. I love to hear what, well, I'm at, we're actually training for this. Oh, for fun. Okay. I love to watch and hear about it. No, none of that. Uh, but I did, I, I, it's interesting to hear her talk about how, how much it forms and shapes your identity and then, and then how you relate to other people in the world. It, just, it can't not, right? So I have struggled with depression since I was, oh gosh, and that young not even a teenager, probably 11 or 12. And I think, and it's, you know, it, it, depression can be in a a lot of things. It can be clinical depression. It can be, which mine has been, I've gone through all kinds of treatments and for years and years and years. And right now I'm in a great place. And there've been times when I wasn't at a great place. And I think because of that, that's just one of the things that I've struggled with, but because of that, I don't really ever assume that somebody doesn't have some level of that somewhere just because some level of depression or struggle with mental wholeness, right? Or just some sort of struggle because it's been so much a part of my life. Also, I also had hip surgery when it happened to be, I had a five-year-old, a three-year-old and a baby. I was in a wheelchair for a while. My three-year-old decorated it with stickers. It was a hard time. I was in a city with no family. I also have degenerative disc disease. So I'm right in the middle of this big regimen of injections and physical therapy and chiropractic treatment because it is what's it called when it keeps going on and it gets worse. It's progressive progressive is what the nurse practitioner keeps telling me. And so if I don't do this, it's very possible that I I'll just stop. There'll be enough pain that I won't be able to walk when I'm however years old. So So you walk therapeutically. I do. I have to, and I do exercises and I'll have to do them for as long as I'm alive. So there are, a number of things. So we're just labeling then that, you know, you look at, a, you know, somebody would walk into the room at a glance, they'd say, oh, Christine, she's a healthy looking person. Right. And you would say, yes, and I have a chronic degenerative disease. Yes. And Abby would say, uh, I lost one of the things that's most precious to me for six years or mm-hmm. so. Mm-hmm. And you were told you right, should probably never, never run, run again. again. Right. And, you know, praise God, you do run now, but it was not a given that it would ever come back. Right. Nor was it a given that I would have children. Right. That sort of thing, too. Right. Yeah. 
And I'll just say when I see a new doctor and I fill out my medical history, they get either excited or alarmed. And I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> Even though <laughs> you had what? <laughs> yes, I had that. And you had this also? <laughs> yes. Just, but I'm okay. Don't worry about it. It's fine. I'm healthy. I'm not here because I'm dying. I'm here because I have a skin rash. <laughs> so we all look good at a glance and we all have struggles. That's part of life in this world, right? I heard you, Christine, say about depression, but also we might apply it to this as well, to the physical side of things. I've had enough depression. I assume everybody's depressed. I, I try to remind myself that if somebody acts badly, they probably have some major grief in their life. And they may just be, they may just be cranky today and, and unkind for no reason, but there's also a really good chance they're dealing with some major hardship right now. And would we apply this to the body as well? Oh, absolutely. I don't know how we don't. I mean, if even just what you just said, the three of us sitting in this room that we, you know, our BMIs, whatever it's supposed to be. And you walk in and think, oh, these people look great. Nope. They're a wreck. So, yeah. I mean, we're functioning, but I think you could pretty much say about anybody that you meet, they could tell you, well, actually I have this and this and this. Right. Can I say something that's yeah. maybe tangential, I guess, but we'll see. Right. Yeah. The, the camp and women's ministry overlap yes. really connects to what you just said, because I can see kids and they struggle with something and then I meet parents and they act real weird and then you find out something else about them. And you sometimes I come away saying, I need to pray for this child because I can't imagine what it would be like to live in this household, knowing what I know now about the family. And I learned that in a camp setting that definitely translates to ministering to people. So you see what they want you to see on the surface level and they dress a certain way and then you get maybe in a little deeper and you kind of start to see through some of the cracks. And so what I couldn't do with families and kids very well because I was just a camp director, I get to do with women if they'll let me in the church. There's more longevity in the church. Camps right. last a right. week or maybe a month. Right. right, right. Or you see the kids year after year, so you start to build a relationship with the family. But that it, it's the, the body and the soul connection that, that gives you clues about one or the other, actually. Mm -hmm. That's right. Well, there's a book called The Body Keeps the Score, and whether you've read the book or not, you get the idea if, you know, if you're abused, let's say as a child, it's going to show up in your body some probably quickly, but always eventually, for example. Well, uh, this does give us a chance to turn a little bit to the question of body image and body presentation for women. And I'm, I'm just going to, to some extent, throw out the idea and let you, you know, fall silently, you comment. You know, women are often unhappy with their bodies, even though you would think they should be happy. I mean, they walk in the door, they look nice, they have nice clothes, you know, they have a, their, their walk indicates fundamental health. You know, they, they have all their teeth, they match. <laughs> Everything looks good on the surface. You know, they don't have giant patches of hair falling yeah. out from malnutrition. Right. Uh, but they are unhappy, maybe even profoundly unhappy with how they look. And social norms and social pressures make life difficult for women. Talk to me like, like a man. Explain to a man what this is like. Break the code. And maybe a man who maybe leads men, 
teaches men how to love their wives, mm-hmm. what would you say? I'd say it's if you can imagine having an assault on you and your body and being in an adversarial relationship with your body from as soon as you can remember, that's kind of what it feels like. So that I tried to think of one part of my body for which I had not heard an improvement marketing campaign. And what I came up with was my wrists. Oh, okay. (laughs) That's it. I thought maybe you were going to say your kneecaps. No, there are things about my kneecaps <laughs> that should be improved, apparently. Or so could that, be improved, Or anyway. could be improved, right. And, you know, you can't... There's always the skin, which covers everything. But that's a whole nother... So I'm going to just make sure we hear this. Yes. You, have, you started paying attention and you noticed that every part of your body, there's a book or an article or something that says you can look better except your wrist. That's the only thing you could avoid. Yes. And in fact, not only can you, but you should. If you right. care, you will buy this product, you will enroll in this program, whatever it is, because your cuticles are not the way they should be, or your butt's not round enough, or your, or your legs should look longer, or your skin should, your pores should be smaller, or your eyeballs should be brighter, or your, wow. what, a, I mean, I could list. Yeah. Yeah. How does so, that make you uh, feel at an emotional, visceral level? Just I mean, to recount for me, that right now, and, how do you, yeah, how does that I feel? mean, it, it's, it is, it produces over years and even in this moment, this endemic shame so that if and I actually asked seven of my closest friends and they're even just about what's it like to be in a female body and all of them without exception, shame, that's their first reaction to me. And this includes really healthy and. Oh, and these are all women physically who are strong, solid people. Yes. Right. Believers, people who should know better, moms, maybe people who won the genetic lottery, a couple of them. Yes, yeah. for sure. Yeah. But there is automatic shame because they've been told or it feels automatic told. in this culture. Right. Yeah, we don't want to say it's really right. automatic. Right. Right. Because no, no, there no. are, I will say there, there are moments when I, I really just want to like say thanks to my body. And I, I've had to work on that and I've learned that through the help of a counselor, but then there's that little voice still mm-hmm. that, or I'm like, oh shoot, like I didn't do that thing. Like, oh, I really need to get better moisturizer or, mm-hmm. you know, something like, so there is, there's, there's this push and pull. So I wouldn't say while I'm, when I can, when I can run, for example, or do, or participate in active things with other people, that's another big one. I don't feel the shame constantly, but there's that voice that I have to turn off. Mm-hmm. Can I, can I add Absolutely. that in there? Yeah. You know, you can, you have to, you have to you push have against to, it. You have to push it against it. Right. Or, or the female body. I'm, I don't think I wasn't necessarily prepared to go here, but just the fluctuation of the way you feel throughout the month really makes me angry sometimes. <laughs> right. That's I'll a, just put that's that thing. way. Like, and not just, yes, I'm angry because my hormones, but then the fact that this happens is frustrating. So when I was a teenager, I was really, really upset that I was a girl. Oh, me too. Well, yeah. we've never talked about this. No, we before. haven't. Talked I about wanted this. to be man for a long time, I but did too. also because they were where the ideas were, which were much oh, more exciting to okay. me than other I didn't, things. But thankfully, still. I didn't have that. Yeah, I didn't feel like I needed to be a man well, to have the ideas. Him, I just didn't want to deal. Yeah. Oh, that totally makes sense to me. And you don't want to be patronized, but you also want someone to understand. I would say, if I'm speaking to a man, which you right. are, understand that I have to deal with this. I didn't choose it. Right. I'm doing the best I can. Yeah. Maybe ask me how you can help. Yeah. So I think I've learned that it's good to listen and let women tell. 
you what they're thinking. And a lot of times I think, okay, I've heard that before. And other times I think, no, I didn't know that both of you who are, you know, you're both feminine women, if I may, right. in a good sense of sure. the word, you're not weak women, you're strong women, but you're very feminine women both thought, you know, it'd be easier to be a man. And we're not going to talk about gender dysphoria today, but once um, the ideology of gender dysphoria and gender reassignment is out there as an option, a, you know, presented as a plausible option for dealing with your difficulties, oh, well, I don't like monthly variations in my feelings. Maybe I can just become a man with no disclosure of all the vast problems that come with that. Sure. It right. becomes plausible. Right. To right. people, yeah, yeah, right. Uh, that's good. Let me just—I'm uh, going to make a comment, and you—you you riff off what I say. Okay. It's kind of unfair because men get off so easily. If a man is bald, and I've slowly moved in that direction over the years, uh, if a man is bald, you know, if all of a man's hair falls out, and I still have most—you know—more than half my hair, but if all of a man's hair falls out, it's a subject of gentle jest. If all of a woman's hair fell out, it would be a disaster. If a man is 20 or 30 or 40 pounds overweight, it's really a non-issue. If a woman is 20 or 30, 40 pounds overweight, it can be a big deal right. to a woman. So it seems very unfair. Plus men have the advantage. And my friends who are of ethnic minorities remind mm -hmm. me it's not all men, right? Right. But a white man, and I'm not really exactly a white man. Uh, I'm half Jewish, and so you know, Jewish is is white today, but a hundred years ago it was definitely not white. Right. So you know, we have all those weird <laughs> things going on uh -huh. in cultures. But um, a white man can kind of walk around and not live in fear, and walk around the streets. And and women and men of ethnic minority status who whose skin and maybe hair look a little bit different have to be aware of their surroundings all the time. So I think it's totally unfair that men get off with being overweight, having bad hair, and, and not worrying about their safety. <laughs> what do you, uh, do you have any comments on that? How sure. Do you, <laughs> I don't know. Comment on it from, right. say whatever you will from, uh, from your perspective. I just took my oldest child, who's 16. <clears throat> a, a man, a, child, a male or a child, child? A male child on a college visit. Okay. And as we were walking around, we were going to meet someone at 6 p.m. And so this was in the month of December that we were doing this. And so I was walking around a college campus I'd never been. It was dark. Mm -hmm. There were not very many people around. There was a construction site. And I, we were a little bit lost. And I thought, at, I said to him, his name is Elliot. He is six feet tall and weighs 200 pounds. And I am not that. <laughs> and I said to him, I'm so glad you're here. Because if you were not here, I would be afraid. I would be looking around and he just kind of looked at me like, what are you talking about? Mm -hmm. And I said, I'd be looking around, I'd be listening, trying to pay mm -hmm. attention to who's mm -hmm. following me. Where am I? Am I going to get hurt? Am I being stupid right now? But you're here. So I'm really not afraid because he's huge and he looks scary, though he's gentle as can be. Mm -hmm. and it's that like is grizzly bears never attack three people. But if you're by yourself, yes. so you're saying women are always in grizzly bear country? And I kind of think, yes. I mean, I, he didn't understand because he's so big. And I've had the same conversation with my husband, who's 6'2 and weighs 200 and whatever pounds. I mean, they're just large people. But I've lived in all kinds of places, most of them not particularly safe for most of my life until the last five years or so. And I am so used to always being very aware of who's around, where am I, who's walking, what are they looking at, what do I look like, am I paying attention? You just have to be if you're 5'4 and weigh 135 pounds. Like you just, otherwise you're not being smart. And I think about the fact that my 16-year-old 
I mean, he can't be dumb, but he's not going to have to think he's about that. He's carefree no way you aren't. Right. Should men be more, is it, should men be more chivalrous and more mindful of women? Is that, is that, you know, like go back to olden times, if I may say it that way? I mean, I think it depends on how you do it, right? Mm-hmm. I, we have, I have tried to train him. Hey, if you see somebody, some woman carrying something really heavy, I mean, you don't have to be a jerk about it, but you can acknowledge the fact that she's smaller than you. And that's probably really hard and say, hey, can I give you a hand? Would you like me to walk you to your car? He'll do things like that for me. I think that's just acknowledging that we're made differently. Yes. That's a right thing to do, you know? Right. Because they yeah. do live in a different, you live in a different reality than we do. And that way, you have a body, we've talked about, we're all kind of a hot mess, but you have a body that can reach things that are higher. Probably but when I'm on the airplane, I'm always, you know, helping women who are diminutive sure. to get their stuff. Because for me, it's here, you know, it's like shoulder height. And for them, it's, it's just not as mm-hmm. easy. Sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they don't, I haven't been yelled at yet. Yeah. But to say, <laughs> would you like me to help you lift that? Right, because you're not being I'm not, disrespectful. Right, I'm, I'm, I'm standing up putting my thing in, and I can put one more in if you would like me to. Plus, I'm older, so I don't, you know, it's like I'm a 27-year-old popping my biceps out. You're not them. threatening. Right. right. <laughs> so now, say, now I, mean, I do have things, have yeah, things sure to do. say. Okay, yeah. so one, about the, you know, men balding, it's fine, women not fine. And, and just that just come, it is an extra burden. Sometimes it's fun to dress up and to look nice, but then I wonder why am I doing this? Like whose attention am I trying to get? And is that okay? And then other times I just want to like look however I want. And then that feels like I'm not taking care of myself or I'm not trying, you know? And so there, there's a tension there that I wish sometimes we didn't have to, to deal with. I, actually truly appreciate the fact that you know media and marketing have tried to show a variety of bodies yes that has been a new thing and it's in the so past great. couple of years it's great especially when it comes to like variety of skin and hair and body and shape size. and size and yes. that's really really helpful I, as an adult I have noticed that and that has made me more comfortable in my own skin mm-hmm. and my body. So I'm thankful for that because there have been issues that I have felt ashamed of for decades and I've started to not feel that way. Okay, but, but if I can also say, and this is another thing that we didn't plan, but because you're my dad, you do sort of influence the way I think about things. And one thing that I've noticed, and you can comment on this if you want, is that when we were growing up, you would praise us for being faster or stronger than the boys. And so that's been this paradigm in my, in my head, and I still do it. So when I look at, you know, results of races and things like that. And when you beat the men. And when I beat the men. <laughs> well, but I still compare myself. Like, so we have a friend that we train with who is 6'3", 6'4", 220, and I don't I still want to be just as fast as he is and I want to keep up with him on the bike and I'm I'm he's a way better swimmer so there's no competing with that but I want to be faster than him when I run and that's kind of I've just noticed that that I as a woman I don't I don't just compare myself to other women I compare myself to men yeah yeah I would say there's a whole nother thing that we haven't quite talked about too about bodies. I'm just thinking in terms of two things. One, when I was in college, I spent a summer in Malawi, which is a sub-Saharan yes, country know Malawi. in Africa. And Every day is Y2K day in Malawi. 
there was a friend of mine who, who, who lived in Malawi. Sorry, I said, so are you worried about Y2K, you know, late 1999? He goes, why would I be worried? Every day is Y2K That's right. day. Everything gets <laughs> shut goes, down at any time. The grid goes down every day. That's what's right. what's going to be different on, that's right. on January 1st, 2000? Sorry, that's yeah, an no, actual no, no, no. quote. I didn't say it. A man who lived in Malawi and loves Malawi said it to me. Yes. No, I lived that. I lived in a right. place where the, Go ahead. it went off all the time. Everything went down. So I we haven't gotten to this yet, but I had an eating disorder in high school. And so there's this whole part of life and identity being formed and what should you look like. Then I moved to this country where I remember I was just for a short time as at Af African Bible College. And there's this woman named Linda Bonda. And she was uh, what we would call overweight. Okay. And she and I remember the men at the college wrote a song about they would sing about her beauty. Linda Banda. They thought she was so beautiful. And part of it, she was beautiful. But part of it, and they told me, was because she was fat. Right. Well, in that country, right. you're only fat if you're rich. Right. And, you know, it's a whole different thing. And I remember coming home on the plane thinking, oh, my gosh, this thing changes mm -hmm. depending on what culture. <laughs> right. It was like rocked my world, you know. <laughs> And then soon after that, I joined a gospel choir at my college because I had never heard gospel choir music. And I heard it wafting through the student union building and thought, what is this wonderful thing? Where is it coming from? I found them, long story short, this whole African-American choir let me join. I was the white girl. Okay. okay. I don't know why nice. in the world they let me. But so I spent like a year and a half. We toured, I mean, went in all these black churches and part of what change my perspective was the way they talked about bodies it was not the way my white friends talked about bodies That's it was awesome. totally different all the What'd categories for different what was better like women or what was informative for you what one of the helpful for I, you. this may be i don't know if this is risque but one of the first things i remember is women were supposed to have big booties and that was like praised and wonderful and it was like celebrated as like one of God's good creations. And I thought, oh my gosh, what? For white women, that's a bad thing. And then there were all these other things like shapeliness and curves were beautiful things and hair was different. And we could celebrate things that in my cult, German culture growing up were shamed. And I thought, oh, here it is again. It's a different set of standards. I'm smiling widely. I just want people who are not watching this to know that's so fun I love it it just I love opened, it it didn't give me all the answers but it gave me a different category and I suddenly thought oh this this isn't the only way we can judge bodies there's a whole who knows how many categories there are <laughs> well let's just say historically speaking heaviness or plumpness let's say was in most cultures a sign of beauty because it was a sign of prosperity and yes. high status because food was in short supply, and in most cultures for almost all of human history till about, till the early 1900s, you were two bad harvests away from starvation. Yes. So that's one, but also pale skin, which is generally looked down upon somewhat, not always, but in the West at least, you wanna have a healthy tan or something like that. Um, pale skin was a sign of high social status and therefore treasure because it meant you weren't out in the sun working in the fields. So that's a, that's a common shift that can help us break from the standards of the moment. I just I think that's a really great thing to be mindful of. Maybe as we raise daughters, there's not one way to look at things that our culture is going to tell us something because we live where we live in this time and that that's not the only answer. But I also think though that somebody could have told you that while you were dealing with an eating disorder. 
and you you didn't have a ear, ears for it. Sure, no. And so it's it's another reason to mix with a lot of different people and to put yourself in in different situations. Just another aspect of that. Again, we're whole people and whole bodies. We can't just hear something and then that informs the rest of us. We have to sort of be immersed in order to take it in. Yeah, and good advice. This has been proven, I guess, over and over. Good, you know, we change our minds by spending time with people who know things we don't know and we sense they care about us. The most influential person in our life is someone who's different enough and yet cares about us, which is why, to be honest, is why teachers and pastors and women's ministry directors and writers can have an influence because we try to convey that we care about the people that we do in fact care about. We, tr- we care about and we try to make it clear that we care about them so they can hear from us as friends, even if they don't know us personally one-on-one. But this choir were, became people who loved you, and so you could hear what they had to say in a way that maybe was received when it was not a first-time utterance, as you pointed out, Abby, but maybe it was a first-time utterance in the right social setting for you to take it in. Yeah, and so let me just uh, just mention one other thing. And uh, almost everybody has some difficulty with eating at some point in their life. Eating disorders are matters of degree. So for me personally, um, I'm that person who can't eat under stress, and I lose weight because I'm not eating enough. Other people eat more when they're when they're under stress. And I remember you one time walking in and watching me eat supper, and you know being kind of aghast at how much I was eating for supper. And thinking that I was like, how little you were eating, how little I was eating for supper. Right. Uh, Do you want to finish that thought, or do you want me to finish it? Um, I think you know, just you pick up patterns from your parents, whether they explain it or not. And so, another pattern that I um, picked up was just this. The evening snacking. Yes. You know, the the constant cereal. That's me, by the way. Right. (laughs) And and so that's just it's just been a you you pick up patterns. I don't know how else to say it. And and then from the perspective of a, you know, I have two sisters. And so we are always wondering about how we measure up, you know, compared to each other. Even though you don't want that to be the case, it's still, it's still a thing. All, all and then we're watching awesome you people. and watching mom. And it just, no matter how, you could do it perfectly. But we don't live in a perfect world. Yeah, and that particular day was one where you were looking, thinking, oh, man, you're really yeah. disciplining yourself with your food. And you, I can't remember what you said, but I, you said, you know, you're not eating much, Dad. Yeah. Are you, like, yeah. watching your diet? I said, honey, I would love to eat more. This is all I can put on my plate and eat at, at this point in my life. Well, I think I probably felt shame for eating a full portion. Yeah, and you I know? would have loved to eat a full right. portion. Right, but we, sometimes we don't have the words to say all those yes. things. Exactly, exactly. Um, I think I've covered most of the things I want to talk about with you. If I'm willing to go to a lightning round unless one of you has another topic you want to talk about. I have a topic I okay, want to talk ahead. about. Is yeah. that okay? Yeah. Do you yeah. have we'll more do too? one more and then we'll okay. do a lightning round. I, I want to say the way that I like to connect bodies and work. And I have thought about that and maybe it's just the way I am aware of my body and I would and I've learned to be aware of my body in new ways and over the years especially during those years that were really difficult and so I like to help people with that if at all if at all possible so in one area is with 
the church and the women's ministry. And we recently did an, an event called Embodied, where we gave women a, a chance to do one of three different activities that use their body. So one option was to do a workout and the woman who led it then um, talked about how she had learned through some experiences with, with eating disorders and other things, um, how to appreciate her body and what it could do and how it could move. So that was a choice. And then another choice was hospitality. And we had a woman talk about the gifts of hospitality and how you can serve and love people with your body and the things that you create. And they got to make food for someone. And then the other choice was art. We haven't talked about art, but that's another part of our body and beauty and, and sort of the expression of what we can do with our hands and our brains and all that kind of stuff. So, so I really am trying to always emphasize that when we gather, I don't want everybody just sitting and listening. I learned that as a teacher, we want to use our whole bodies to learn and internalize things. Um, it's just not our brain. Plus tons of studies show that, yeah. that you don't get a lot long-term by just listening. You've yeah. got to participate. Right. And then we had a panel discussion about um, with counselors about the combination of mental health, spiritual health, and our bodies. Yeah, so let's just say a couple things yes. very quickly. Um, and I'll, I'll make a couple points you can add if you want to. So the first thing is, with regard to our body, everything God created is good. Mm -hmm. God created our bodies. They're fundamentally good no matter how flawed they might be, how mm -hmm. they don't work the way we wish. Uh, if it is received with thanksgiving and prayer. So we give thanks for our bodies and we pray over our bodies. And we're also made to be active. So your point just now about you know learning and sitting, I don't know how many people I've told, if you want to learn, if you're stuck learning Greek or Hebrew, because I'm a seminary prof, try doing the paradigms while you're going for a walk. Mm -hmm. That's try, how I learned Greek and Hebrew. Try exactly learning vocabulary that. while mm -hmm. you're jogging, not running hard, but jogging right. or walking fast. Right. You will learn it so much better. We're physical beings, mm -hmm. and we, uh, we, we even, we're healthier in every possible way if we stay active physically, right? So anything else you want to say? I was just going to say back to your question about what do you want to, what would you want to say to men? I think for your, yes. for your listener, your male listeners yes. to encourage them to say, you can be this narrative that we've talked about. Abby mm -hmm. and I've talked about the negative narrative that we hear as women about our bodies. You can be part of the counter narrative. Yes. If you think about what yes. you say to your daughters, your wife, your sisters, your mom, I mean, any, the women in your church. I love you as you are. Yeah, and like you just realize that we do live with this narrative that can be quite heavy, and you can help change the voices that we hear in our heads. You really can. What you say carries a lot of weight, especially if you're close to us. So don't be afraid. Even ask us, you know, tell us whatever you want to say, and then ask, is that helpful? Can you hear me when I right, say that? Right, right. I think another thing is, you know, I, I have a friend who recently said she was telling her husband that she didn't feel attractive. And he said, right, well, I think you're attractive. And he kind of went on, but she, she needed somebody to sit with her with that for a minute too. So, and be quiet and be quiet and say, this is something that I, a burden I have. I feel that I'm really dissatisfied with my body and you just telling me that you think that I'm beautiful. That doesn't just erase it. And so there's a, there's a both that we have to work with the, the little comments in ordinary life. You're beautiful. I love you just the way you are. It's really helpful. But when somebody's really struggling with something, sitting and listening and not telling them they're wrong to feel that way 
could be helpful for a while too. Yes, mm -hmm. right. good. Yeah. All right, lightning round. Oh, one more say thing. One you more want to say thing. one more I'm thing? I'm sorry. You can edit this out if you need to. Okay. All right. <laughs> but the other, the other role that I have is as a mother. I love to help my kids listen to their bodies. Mm. And so the other day, my daughter said, I don't feel good. I don't want to go to school. And she wasn't sick. And she said, I'm nervous and, I'm, and I'm, I don't want to go to school. And I said, where do you feel it in your body? And she said, my stomach hurts and I feel like I'm, I'm going to, like I, my stomach hurts a lot. I might be sick. And I said, okay, will you thank your stomach for telling you that it hurts and that something is wrong? Thank you for paying attention to it so that you could tell me. And we kind of did a body scan and I asked her to take some deep breaths and I gave her a hug. And instead of shutting that down, we paid attention to it so she could tell me more. There was something going on with, the, with her classmate at school. It had been going on, but she wasn't able to articulate it until we paid attention to what was going on in her body. And I was able to say, okay, I can't, I, I can't necessarily fix it, but I know who I can talk to and we're gonna get you some help. Mm -hmm. That's great. That's great. Okay, you have like 25 seconds. Ready? You have a choice. What book has been mo most influential in your life or what book do you most like to give away to people? Oh, this is so hard. I, I would want to say The Body Keeps the Score, but Karen Purvis wrote a book before that, which of course, just as you asked, went out of my head. It's all about brain chemistry and what okay. trauma does to the body. That okay. has really changed the way I look at parenting, everything, everybody. Great. Um, I'm going to go with a novel, The Power and the Glory by mm. Grand Green. Yeah. Graham Green yeah. uh, was influential. Yeah. All right. If you had, we'll keep going with Christine first. Okay. okay. And then Abby. If you had two free hours, what would you do with it? To establish your physical, mental, holistic <laughs> health. Hiking. Hiking, for Where sure. Where would you hike? Oh, I mean, if I could get there, I'd go to the mountains. All right, cool. Which ones? East, Eastern mountains or Western mountains? Western mountains. I like a view. Give me a view. Give me a path with a view with a good incline. All right, Ooh. good. Yes. Nice. All right, Abby? Um, I would probably do the same thing if I could get to the mountains, but second choice would be mountain biking with my husband because mm, I, I just good got into that. Yeah. Okay, putting aside all practical considerations, what would you do for one year? Nothing practical matters at all. What would you do for one year? Where would you go? What would you do? I would write music for a symphony and chorus together. Wow. Can you, can you do that a little bit? Yes. Okay, can. you can. All right, so it's not a stretch. It's not no. <laughs> like I would learn instantaneously how to write music. No. You would, you would do it. It's been in you and there's no time for it. That's right. Awesome. What would you do? I would be a journalist for out side magazine and go to Europe on a bike. <laughs> yes. Strangely specific. Yes. Yeah, that's, that's what fine. I would do. Well, that's amazing. Hey, thanks so much for coming here today and for sharing your lives and your thoughts. It's been great to be with you. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Once again, I want to thank my guests, Abby Karsten and Chris Gordon. As I mentioned earlier in the podcast, this subject of the body is something I've been studying lately. If you would like to learn more, we have a list of some of my favorite recent books on the subject. Find a link to that in the show notes for this episode or visit us at workingwithdan.org. At our website, you can explore archives of old episodes, subscribe to receive updates on new episodes, receive giveaways, and find bonus content. This podcast is a production of the Center for Faith and Work in partnership with the Alliance for Confessing Evangelicals. Please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And one more time, I'm Dan Doriani. 
reminding you to work hard, make a difference, and from time to time, take a break.